You're listening to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creativity, I'm talking about writing, and I'm talking about reinventing yourself through the arts. Hey everyone, welcome back to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? And today I'm answering your questions, and I'm back here with Phil. Welcome back, Phil. Good to be here. Thank you for we, having we me. Had a, we had a delay because I borrowed some of Phil's uh, miking, mic equipment for a few weeks, and then I gave it back to him with, that, with the wrong uh, card, you know, and then, um, Phil, you learned a lesson. The lesson is no good deed goes unpunished. And oh, I'm, man. I feel I'm like happy to theme. have taught you that lesson. <laughs> Thank you for teaching me that lesson. I feel like the theme of every story I've ever written is that. So <laughs> yeah. it's screwed either it. way. Just so everyone knows, sometimes high tech is low tech, and we have these awesome Zoom recorders, and they only allow you to have a 32 megabyte uh, SD card. And then the American way of gluttony, we bought massive SD cards for the podcast and missed, a, missed an SD card somewhere. So won't, here we won't are. run. But we're but we're back and we, we made it work. We had a little delay. And so today, so I have these webinars every three weeks or so where I talk to people about writing and anyone's welcome to join. It's free. Go to michaeljammon.com slash webinar for the next one. And we have a, a rotating list of topics that I cover, uh, you know, and they're all writing related. And so these are some of the questions I didn't have time to answer during these webinars. Yeah, and you uh, are often testing new subjects too. So if you've attended them in the past, make sure you come sign up so you can get into those. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got several topics, and, and as we do, I tend to group these together based on subject matter. And these are raw questions just asked during the podcast. So I apologize in advance for ruining people's names and mispronouncing everything. Uh, but let's start with craft. I think that's the thing people care a lot about is how do they get better at writing? Yeah. And SL Junk, indie author, uh, asks, how does the story structure fluctuate depending on genre? I should say, too, this is from your podcast, How to Write a Great Story, which is one of your- My webinar. My webinar. Your webinar. Yeah. Yeah, this is, excuse me, your webinar, How to Write a Great Story, which is one of your most popular webinars that we have. So if you haven't uh, signed up for that, go do that the next time it's up. Yeah. So how does the story structure fluctuate depending on genre? If I'm writing a horror, but I'm used to fantasy, what are some things I need to consider when structuring my story? I really don't think there's that much of a difference, to be honest. I think that might, if, if you're writing a mystery, that's different. And I, I think writing mysteries, people do it wrong all the time. Risks are a little harder to do. But uh, you're, you're just telling, it, the story structure is very similar. You're telling a scary story. A horror story is just a scary story. A fantasy is just a is is just a it's a fantastical story. But they're just stories. I mean, everyone gets hung up on on these you know genres. Uh, it, you do, you get to decide the tone and the and the tone of your story is scary or fantastical, but it's still a story. Yeah, the, something that you told me privately that I think is interesting for everybody listening. Uh, you were approached by a publisher who said, "We want to make you the next Save the Cat." We want you to publish this book series on, and you've never read any of those things. Yeah. But for those of us who have, this is commonly taught. What are the tropes of your genre? What are the things in your genre? What is the story structure of your genre? And it's like you read between the lines and it's like what you've said many times. You're taking something apart and reassembling that. Mm -hmm. And it's not the right way. You need to start with structure and then move forward. It's the same reason you do a foundation and then a frame and then you do the rest of the house. Yeah. You can paint the house any color you want, and that's that's this whether it's scary or funny or dramatic or whatever. That's just color of paint, but the, the house still looks the same. You know, for the framing, still looks the same, regardless yeah. of what paint you want to put on it. Awesome, just Mason May. How does someone overcome the concern that our work won't live up to its potential? Oh, it never does. <laughs> I mean, to get over it. like you'll never be happy. You'll never be. Oh, I should have done it this. I, maybe, you know, when you're done, you're always going to look at it and go, oh, I wonder if this could have been better. I think every, any artist is going to feel that way. Uh, but if the question is like, how do I make sure it's good enough to even share? Well, then you can just give it to your friend or your mother or whoever and have them look at it and read it. Take your name off the cover and ask them, did you enjoy reading this? Did you, when you got to the bottom of the page, did you want to turn the page or not? And if you wanted to turn the page, you did a good job. And if you didn't, something's wrong. Right. 
how, aside from that, what would you recommend people do to overcome the fear of rejection or the fear of someone hating their work? You know, I, I get over it. I mean, that's the job. We all, you're signing up for this. It's uh, hopefully no one's going to be too mean to you, but just know that when I was starting off, I was no good. No, no one's good when they start off. I mean, no, you, no one starts, every single artist you admire, musician, actor, writer, whatever, performer, they were, they were not good when they started. Like, listen to, them, listen to them in interviews. They'll say as much. So you get better. The more you do, the better you get. Yeah, we watch these kids' shows now that I've got small children. Yeah. And one of our favorite shows is Bluey, which I've talked about before. And they just dropped a bunch of new episodes yesterday. Mm-hmm. And one of the episodes is about drawing. And the daughter, Bluey, is not good at drawing. But the dad's not good at drawing. But the mom's really good at drawing. And mm-hmm. then the, ba- the little sister doesn't care at all because she's just a kid. And she's just drawing whatever she wants. And so the dad's super conscientious, self-conscious of what he's drawing. And so Bluey, the protagonist, becomes a little self-conscious of her drawing. And they tell the story that the dad got made fun of when he was a kid. So he stopped. And the mom just, she, her mom mm-hmm. incentivized her, encouraged her, you're doing great for a seven-year-old. And she was like, oh, and that was enough. Like, And then she became a wonderful artist. And so at the end, Bluey and the dad are both like freed up to draw the things that they got made fun of or were worried about. And it's this beautiful allegory of just, hey, like, just let it go. Like, who cares? That person is just being a jerk. And it's because they envy what you do. And yeah, yeah, and that's, that's a good okay. lesson. That's a good lesson from yeah. that show. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, I bet you should you should watch it with your kids, Michael. They're all, my kids are too old to watch TV with me now. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's scary. It's so sad to hear that. <laughs> yep. Rachel Zhu, I would like to get my motivation for riding back. And yeah. for everybody, you have this other webinar you just put out, which is uh, about how professional writers overcome writer's block. And yeah. I think that kind of addresses this, but this was before that. But what, what general thoughts do you have about getting motivation back to write? Yeah, I mean, if it, well, first of all, I can't motivate anyone. I mean, if you don't have the motivation in you, then it's not going to get done. So you have to be self-driven. But probably what you're experience, what you're experiencing, is the fact that you just don't know how to do it. And so when you don't know how to do something, or you think you're bad at it, it's not fun. Like, why would you want to, you know, yeah, why would you want to do anything when you feel like you're horrible at it? But once you learn how to do it, and and like story structure can be taught. And it doesn't make writing easier. It makes it easier. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. So I think the problem that you're facing is you just don't know how to do it yet. So come to some of my webinars and that'll help you a lot uh, just to learn, you know, you're, you're flailing. I don't blame you. It's no, it's no fun when you're flailing. Yeah. For everybody who is unaware, you also give away the first lesson of your of your. Uh, online course for free at michaeljammon.com slash free. And you teach this beautiful lesson about what is story. That alone is worth its weight in gold because it's just something we all miss or forget. And you've even said you forget sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I was watching a movie that I got, I got a screener the other day and I'm getting halfway through. I go, there's no story here. I'm bored. And now my wife was bored by it too, but she didn't know why. I knew why, because I'm a writer. I'm like, this, this, what's the story you're telling? No one knew. And yet the movie got made. I don't know. Yeah. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, many people have heard this guy and you've heard me talk about him before. This guy, Jocko Willink, former Navy SEAL, leadership mm-hmm. consultant, multiple New York Times bestsellers, a huge podcast. And he has this motto that says discipline equals freedom. And he's like, it's a little bit counterintuitive because you think if you're disciplined, then you don't have choice and you can't do things. And mm-hmm. his point is, if you are disciplined, you don't have to rely on motivation. And that's what I hear from you and I've heard from other professional writers is being a professional is doing it when you don't feel like it. Motivation doesn't matter. You know what I'll tell you as well? Because you know I post every day on TikTok or at least you know five, at least five or six days a week. I find, and I, and I have talked to other creators who feel the same way, if I take too many days off, it gets harder to get back on. So two is the max and you got to like, because you know, I know people think it's easy to, it's not easy posting on tic- on social media. It's like, I got to think about what I'm going to say. I got to rehearse it. I got to shoot it. Then I got to tag it, upload it, make all the meta tags. It's like, it's it's not, I don't do it in two seconds. And um, yeah, it's just one of the, it's like brushing your teeth. You have to do it. Yeah. And that's like any habit. They say, you can mess up once, don't mess up twice. Right. Yeah. It's like dieting. Don't, don't make two bad choices. 
Yeah. Make, if you made one, that's okay. Now continue to get back on track. But it's discipline, discipline, discipline. You just need to sit down and do the work because that is what is required. And if you're not willing to do that, this is not the career for you. It might be fun for you to do on your own, but even mm-hmm. then, I I imagine that's going to be pretty brutal if you don't have the discipline and the habit of just sitting down and doing it. Oh, it'll still be, even if it's a hobby, it'll still be more fun if you know how to do it. I mean, golf yep. is a hobby for most people. The better sure. you get, the more fun it is to play. Yeah, I don't like being bad at things. That's very yeah. true. So, great. Uh, Stephanie Anthony, what are daily riding exercise that are, exercises that are invaluable to helping to build stronger storytelling muscles? Well, I don't do exercises, uh, but what I you would certainly have keeping a journal or a diary and writing it, knowing that no one will read it, is very freeing. I, I read, when I was in high school, I wrote um, I had a creative writing te- uh, class, and our assignment was to write daily entries in this journal. And he gave we gave it to him at the end of every class, and then you know he would read it, and he was always so kind. He would like at the. He always said such nice things about what I wrote. Like he was looking forward to reading it. I thought that's that was really nice of him to do. It was. I'm sure it wasn't very good, but I was trying to entertain him, and he appreciated it. Uh, so, it, like, yeah, just just write, write and read. How about, those yeah. are your exercises. Write and read. I've talked before about some of my experiences translating for the Sundance Labs and some of the things I got to do with the scholarship I had through Robert Redford, and this woman, Joan, who runs these workshops at the labs for whether you're a writer, a director, whether you're doing editing, whatever it is, everyone goes through this basic storytelling um, lab with her, these workshops almost every day. And it's about taking, basically it's what you talk about in your course, mining your life for stories. Mm -hmm. And I remember that one time I went and she saw me and she recognized me from doing this Redford scholarship stuff. And she was like, it's so good to see you here. And I told her what I was doing. And she was introducing everybody in the room. And I introduced myself. And she was kind enough to say, and Phil is a very talented writer. And I made the mistake of saying, well, that's why I'm here translating. And I've been thinking about that literally today as Mm. doing the work and practicing and getting better and then getting acknowledgement from other people is important. The practice of doing it every single day is the exercise. And then I think the other exercise is accepting people's praise when it's yeah. earned and deserved. Yeah, take the compliment because you know why? It's it's insulting not to. It insults yeah. the person not. Like if you shit on it, then like they, they gave you a gift. And I, I did. I, I see people do it all the time. You're not the only one. You know, yeah. it's normal because you also feel like, well, I'm not good enough. Yeah. You know? My my thought was like, well, I didn't. I'm not in the labs, so mm-hmm. I'm here translating, but. That was, it was, uh, I did it in front of people and I did apologize to her after yeah. and she was very kind and we had a good chat about it, but uh, that was ringing in my head today. It's for, hard to take a compliment for a lot, a lot of time. I feel the same way. I feel yeah. the same way. So, it's, But if you say no or you shoot it down, then it's all going to be harder because you're reinforcing unconsciously that you are not good or it's, it isn't good enough and yeah. you got to take the wins, take the wins. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Right. Awesome. A couple questions related to the topic and your online screenwriting course. So they're kind of bundled together. Joel Rydell, uh, regarding execution of an idea in a script. How do you know when you've taken a script far enough? In other words, how do you know if it's ready? Well, kind of the same. I, I kind of touched on this earlier, but basically give it to someone and t- take the title sheet off if, so they don't know you wrote it. And then if give them a week or so to read it. And if they get to page 20... And they ask, you know, they're going to say, what do I know? I'm not a Hollywood director. How do I know if your script is any good? And you say, well, no, when you get to 20, does it, do you want to read more? Does it feel like I gave you a gift or a homework assignment? That's it. And so you, you don't even, you know, because your reader is your audience. They don't have to be a Hollywood insider to know whether they like something or not. Do they want to turn the page or not? And they do, it's good. Yeah. And, if, it, and if, if it's not, they, if they don't, that's a problem. Yeah. There's levels of that too, because I've written things that you that I've given to friends and they said, this was great, and then given them to you, and you've given me good praise, but solid feedback and things that I could improve. And it's the quality of the feedback is also important. But mm. what I'm hearing you say is, regardless of that, if you have a show on TV, whoever's going to sit down and invest their time to watch your story, 
they need to all understand there's a story here and it's worth the hour of my time, the 27 minutes of my time, whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, because no one's obligated to watch your show. They'll turn the channel now, you know? Yep. So that's Mm. how you judge things. Yeah. Are you ever at a point when you write things where you feel you've done enough? Like, I'm happy with that one. That one's good to go. Or is it always like, I can make that better. I just got to turn it in. You got, yeah, I always feel that way. Even with my book coming out, I always feel like, ah, I could have done that a little differently. But it's like, no, you got to let it go. You got to let, but you know, I saw an interview with Frank Geary and he was looking at the, um, I think it was 60 Minutes and he was staring at the uh, the Disney concert hall, which he designed. And he's a fantastic architect. I think he was with Leslie Stahl and they were admiring his work, right? And she goes, when you see this building, and this it's one of the most beautiful buildings in LA. Yeah, it's great. It's gorgeous. Uh, if you guys have seen Iron Man, I want to say Iron Man 1, they go uh-huh. to it. They do. Yeah. It's very sculptural. It looks like a piece of sculpture. And she said, when you look at this building, what do you see? He goes, I see all the things I would do differently now. Mm. <laughs> and again, he's a master. So it, you, you just never get past that stage. Yeah. But that's not the job of a pro, which is what you teach. The job of a professional is you do the work, you turn it in, you move on. Yeah. You move on to something else and make the next one better if you can. Well, you always do the best you can with the time you have. Is, yeah. is that accurate to say? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. That's definitely the way with TV. We, you know, we got to turn on an episode of TV and at the end of the week, so we do the best we can. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Kamika Hartford, in creating a story with structure in mind first, is it ever useful to organically write or figure it out, then go back and pick out the pieces you want to create a solid narrative? Or is that just wasted time? This is in regards to Greta Gerwig's process. Yeah. It's a little bit different than yeah. most people. That's a great question. And if you were writing a movie on your own time, sure, you you can write it. No one's you don't have a time schedule. You could do, take four years to write your movie. And if you want to discover it organically, and if you understand how to do that, if you understand how to what that means, it means you have to write and write, and then you figure out what the story is. And then once you finally find the story, you can go back and rewrite all the other stuff that's not the story, and then fix it. But you still have to understand what story structure is to know what you're fixing. If you were to work on a TV show, though, you don't have that luxury. You're on staff with a bunch of other writers in a room, and before one word is written, you break the story on the, you know, on the whiteboard, and then you outline it. You, you, there's no discovering the story. You, everyone agrees on what the story is in the writer's room. So it's a very different process. One is more organic. The other is definitely more efficient. So. Mm. You said everyone agrees. And I've yeah. been in the room where I've seen people not agree with the showrunner. Well, when I say and, everyone agrees, I mean the showrunner agrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just for a point of clarification for people, um, it is not your job to approve every decision in a writer's room. No. But like you said, when you're writing something for yourself, you get to you have the luxury of doing that. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, fascinating question and answer. Thank you, Camille. Yeah. Gleb Strelin, how can I bring my vision to life through a screenplay? How can I bring my vision to life? Well, I'm not really sure what. How do they, are they, are they asking? How do they? How do we sell it? Or how I, do I, I think I think what I'm hearing from this question, based mm-hmm. on the topic, is all right. So I've got this vision for what I want my story to be, and I've chosen screenplay as my um, medium. How do I get what's in my head on the page? And you know do what? It justice. I saw this short by Wes Anderson last night. I can't. God, I can't remember what it was called. Damn it. Um, I don't remember what it was called. It was with uh, Ray Fiennes and uh, Ben Kingsley. It was, it was a half hour long and it was typical Wes Anderson. Only uh, it wasn't shot like a movie. It was shot like a stage play. And so the character would talk and behind the character, the sets would move and in would fly in this different set. And then they'd, he'd, go, he'd pretend to walk and then he'd be in a different set. And like, it was wonderful uh, to watch, it was so creative, but on paper, I, I, it's the most boring thing in the world. You can't, there's no magic on paper. You have to see it. Um, so if you if that's what you wanna do, you're gonna have to just build that yourself. You're gonna have to, you got a phone, you got a camera, you got friends, make it yourself. You know, and don't spend a lot of money. Spend whatever you think it's gonna cost, I guarantee you I can I can shoot it for much less because it's not about the money. It's always about the words. And the more creative you are, I did a bunch of commercials that I wrote for- I was just about to talk Were you gonna say that? I was, yeah. For Twirly Girl, my wife had a company called Twirly Girl, and we shot all these commercials. 
uh, and I wrote and produced them and, and I hired a bunch of high school kids uh, to shoot it as my crew. And the sets, like I built the sets out of cardboard. Literally, I got cardboard boxes and I built everything. And the fact that it was made out of cardboard made it funnier. It made it yep. silly. But, it's, the, but, it, but tonally on point too, because it's a children's clothing line, right? Yeah. It's, so yeah, but it was, it was magical. Great. It was like, but also it had the same. Ma like Wes Anderson has that same kind of magical thing about him. It's like it's it, you know it doesn't exist. It's, that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen them, are those published anywhere? Are they on like Tour the Girl YouTube? It's a good I know question. we have them in your Vimeo account. I've seen them. I know there. I mean, I think you can see some of them if you go to twirlygirlshop.com. Would you ever want those published on your site just as examples? I don't, we can do that. Do you think someone is interested? We should put some there. Why don't you guys, if you guys are listening to this, just go comment on Instagram and just put hashtag twirly girl in the comments. And so we know if you guys want to see them, we can uh, load them up on your Yeah, on we your can make site. a page of that. But I, it's probably a good idea, Phil, because I think it should be inspiring. Each of those com commercials, they're about three to five minutes long, eh, whatever. Maybe they're five minutes, but I shot them, cut them down to three. And uh, each one cost, the first one I think was 1200 bucks. Like you can do it cheap. You can my do business, it cheap. My hmm. business partner, Rich, <clears throat> he was one of my professors in film school, actually. Hmm. He's teaching at Grand Canyon University in Arizona. He's teaching film right now. And so for the final project last semester, he had them shoot a, a, a video, basically <laughs> that kind of commercial for a pickleball brand. Hmm. And... The thing looks incredible. There's amazing camera. There's like crane movement. There's drones. It looks good. And $128. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it looks like it was 10 grand. Yeah. Now, is it gonna perform as an ad? I don't know. But the quality was definitely there. Right. And what I'm getting to is um, when you talk about getting your vision to life. It is the job of the, sh of, the, of the writer. It is the job of the writer to get the vision on the page so that anyone who reads it can see that vision. Yeah. But it is the director's job to take that and work with the art department and everyone else to expand it. Or in TV, the writer is typically the showrunner, right? That showrunner has that same capacity to get mm -hmm. the vision made. Yeah. Um, beyond doing it yourself, I think the other piece of advice that I might give would be you need to understand your craft. You need to understand what a screenplay looks like and your formatting and your own style and tone are going to influence your ability to do that on the page if you're not going to produce your own stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that to to counter what or contract contrast with what you're saying. It's just the the person who's not going to go shoot those things. If you're just talking about it from a writer's perspective, you got to have your story there. The structure has to be sound and then you need to be able to use the words and the style and format of screen of screenwriting to get the job done to convey that vision. Yeah. And you oh when you as you were talking I I I forgot to tell you this morning on TikTok someone tagged me and they said they're in law school and that they're they're taking an uh, an entertainment, you know, law class and and they're their professor assigned them to watch my channel. That's awesome. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know why. What a weird homework assignment. Love it. <laughs> maybe he's gonna just like call out all the things that you could be sued for. Sarah, yeah, maybe. That's right? <laughs> wild, man. Uh, the world's world's shifted in the Michael Jamin sphere yeah. over here. <laughs> you got you got Michael's got his own uh, um, Wikipedia page too. Yeah, I'm Michael's on I'm on Wikipedia. Yeah. You, a couple of years ago, you would have never wanted any of this attention. Right? No, I I, I still uh, I still struggle with it a little bit. I still yeah. struggle. Yeah. Um, just highlighting that for everybody here who's like struggling to put their stuff out there because that's what a lot of these questions are about. You wanted to do something, just yeah. publish this book. And mm -hmm. You said, what do I need to make that happen? Yeah. It's been over two years in that process mm -hmm. and your book will be coming out pretty soon. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll do a special episode on that. But yeah, all, all, when, I, when I'm yelling at you guys to build the damn mountain, to build it yourself, I just want you to know, Everything I recommend, either I have done or I'm currently doing. So I'm not talking out of my ass. So, yep. you know. Zero hypocrisy here with the recommendations. And uh, I will defend you on that because Thank I see you. it happening. Yeah. All right. Sucks to suck has a question. Okay. Great. Great username. Um, story build, finding planning the path of the characters. Like the this is this is a statement. It's not a question. But when you're story building, how do you find the, or plan the path for your characters? How, what are their arcs? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something I teach in my course, uh, my screenwriting course. 
come sign up, michaeljammon.com slash course. But I, I like that's not a 30 second answer. That's a 14 hour, <laughs> 14 hour course. So uh, yeah, come come yeah. to my webinars. I can I I did a webinar a couple weeks ago where I literally gave away part of the course. Not a lot of it, just just a small part of it. I was and, surprised. Uh, it's a lot though. It's a lot of nuggets in there. Of yeah, there's just, a lot of good stuff in that. And I was like, yeah. if, I, you know, I kind of felt like guys, if you don't take the whole thing, you're you're missing out <laughs> because this is pretty good stuff. So, what was that? How professional writers create great characters? Is that what it's no, it was. Uh, I don't know. It was not. It was might have been getting past writer's block or what was the one? So after they're they're that? both of those are pretty good, and I think you've given a lot of new context and a lot of context in there for that. Yeah, I think it was a great characters was one specifically on this subject, and yeah. you talk about this. I don't want to spoil it for people who are going to miss it, but you talk about the principle of like how to put the right character in a story. Yeah, and it is worth watching. I don't want to steal the opportunity yeah. for you to learn that lesson by listening to Michael. Come to my talk on characters that it'll help you a lot and it's free. Awesome. Sammy Cisneros, how strict should we follow conventional story structure? Uh, you can't, I, I would say don't break the rules until you understand them. So very, I would say very strict. And just so you know, I don't break the rules and I've been doing it for a long time. I, why, if it, if it, if, if it ain't broke, why fix it? I honestly, like I, and you, once once you're in that story structure, there's still so much creative freedom that you can have once you understand. It's not. It's not like it's. Um, it's not. I don't feel handcuffed when I'm writing a story that way. I feel liberated, like I understand how to do it. It's. It, 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 there's the roadmap that'll help. Yep. Um, you discuss this principle of uh, Picasso in your free yeah. lesson, which I think mm -hmm. everyone should go pick up or rewatch if you've signed up for it in the past. But uh, you talk. He talks. You talk about what it means to become a master. And it's visually apparent when you look at the way you display that in that lesson. Yeah, go so, watch. Yeah, what, that was in the free lesson. MichaelJammon.com slash free. That'll yeah, go you. watch that. That'll help. Great. Leody Bennett, when breaking a story, do you keep track of both plot and story? Yeah, it's all, all yes, all this, yes. And if you don't know what that means, there's a difference between plot and story. And I talk about this in... I think the free lesson, but um, yeah, you have to keep both in mind. All right, you you don't do one without the other. It's the same time. And if you you can have a plot, if you have a good plot but no story, you got nothing. If you got a good story but no plot, you also have nothing. Uh, so you need both. Yeah, I think lesson two in the course is heavily dedicated to this, and you do touch it on it on the free one. But second year in the course, and you get to lesson two, it's like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense, and. I've always said this since we started the podcast and doing this stuff together. You're the only writer I know online who talks about story mm -hmm. and not plot. Everyone else is, what are your plot points? What is oh, this yeah. plot? What yeah. is this beat? How does this beat build to this? What is your inciting incident to this thing, to crossing the threshold, to the boon? And they're mixing all this jargon from all of, it's Jungian, it's, it's Joseph Campbell, it's like oh. all this stuff. It's very <laughs> hard it's to even wrap your head around. And I, I'm egotistically, I consider myself to be a pretty intelligent person who's capable of learning. And very often when I started studying screenwriting, I was just beating my head against the wall because it's like, I don't even understand what subtext is and you're telling me to use it. But no yeah. one's teaching how to use subtext, which you talk about, but it's that, yeah, it's the story. It's story, story, story. And then the plot is, to me, it is the painting of the story. It's what makes the story matter. Well, like I watched a movie the other day and there was plenty of plot. Things were moving along, things were clipping, things were happening. But the whole time I'm like, so what? Who cares? Why do I, this is so, who cares? Yeah. And so the story is really the who cares part. Why, yeah. why should we, so. Write that down. Write yeah, that write down. That down. Right it's the now. who cares. It's why, why do I, what me as the, the viewer or the listener or the reader, it's all the same. Yeah. Why do I care what happens to the main character? And if you don't, like I, I watched, I won't say it on camera. I won't say which one it was, uh, but it was a big movie, big budget, big director who's done some great stuff. You should just text like, me so I know what it I'll, is. I'll tell you later, later. but yeah. I was like, who cares? Why do I care about any of this? Yeah. Um, Dave Crossman, who we've, he's pretty active in the course we've talked about before. He has said that I have a coined phrase now when I read someone's script. Mm. It's a lot of things happen. A lot of people doing things and nothing's happening. Okay, that's not, yeah. 
That's lots good. of lots of stuff. Yeah. Just plot is so boring. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, David Campbell. Um, how do we determine which contestants, which content to reveal in what order? Oh, yeah. I have a whole analogy that I go through in one of my free webinars about the, the order in which you un unpack the details of your story is really important. And that's what I teach in the course. But for sure, yeah, that's, um, yeah. A lot of times you'll read new writers and they just, they just do a dump. They just dump everything out. And, but that's not how you tell a story. The story is like you as the, as the author, you get to decide when your reader learns this. And that's, <laughs> that's how you keep people turning the page. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I have bought a lot of self-published books from friends and mm -hmm. people I went to film school with and some are good and some are like, wow, what you just put in a chapter could have been a whole book. Mm -hmm. And you ended this, in a, this chapter in a place that, makes zero sense and it's because of the way they're laying out the story they have so much they want to say they're just rushing through it mm -hmm. but they have so little they want to say it's dragging on yeah and it's to me i think that's what we're talking about story structure yeah if you understand structure then the artistic way you unfold that story unravel that story is your craft and your voice and that the person who comes to mind for me is guy ritchie i think guy ritchie does that masterfully in his stories mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm working on a story right now, which I'm writing, and I'm there's one of two ways I I, I want to write it, and so I'm not sure which which way I'm supposed to do it, but I'll choose one and I'll go down that path, and if I find it halfway through it doesn't work, I'll go back and do the other way. <laughs> so you're saying you know. you're not you're not married to the words you wrote, you're not yeah, they're not yeah. precious written in stone and can never be changed. No, it's all about yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll toss I've tossed out so many stories, uh, yeah. you know, that weren't working, but I. It's only, I'm always thinking about what's the best way to compel the reader to turn a page. Mm. High level note there, guys. Write that one down too. Write it down. All right. Paul Gomez, 790. Should a story center around subject or a character? Is there a different approach for each? Um, what I'm hearing with this question is, should I focus on theme or character when I write my story? I, I honestly, I think you focus on a character and then theme comes a little bit later, but... Uh, you know, I've seen some some movies that were the very interesting setting, very interesting subject matter, very interesting. But I'm, I'm because I don't care what the about what the character wants, and I'm not invested in the character. I was very unsatisfied with the movie, even though the subject matter was really interesting. Yeah. Um, previous podcast episode we've done, we talked about basically picking a word. There's a word that's going to kind of color my story and then yeah. that to me is theme what is the theme of this and so that might help is shape the character that i'm telling to convey that theme but the character has to matter or it doesn't matter what the theme is yeah and when my partner and i writing often we pretend there's a drink like a drinking game if we that theme will keep on appearing and so often you'll see a word recurring over and over in a script and we always will drink drink and then when we're done we go back and change those words so it doesn't so it's not so obvious we disguise it but but if you're doing it right that theme will reappear many times and throughout your script but you just have to hide it a little better yeah yeah good stuff good stuff guys i really i i know some of you are advanced enough to know how much gold michael's just dumping his pockets right now just gold <laughs> nuggets for those of you who are newer this is worth re-listening to so that you can pick up that gold because this is stuff that will shape you. And I would come back and listen to this one six months from now, because mm -hmm. you're going to be at a different place as a writer yeah. and look at different things. I've definitely seen that even just listening to our podcast with questions I've asked you, yeah. the answers that I got two years ago apply very differently to me now. I'm a father of two kids now. You yeah, know, I, I'm like dealing with all these other different life issues than I was two years ago. And uh, that affects the way I tell my stories and what things I want to talk about. So. And I'm still learning, guys. Just say, so I mean, you're never done learning when you're writing. So, yep. I, I know I don't know everything. I just pretend to. Yeah, more more than he gives himself credit for. But he's gonna take credit, like we talked about, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my content, and I know you do because you're listening to me, I will email it to you for free. Just join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos of the week. These are for writers, actors, creative types, people like you. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And the price is free. You got no excuse. To join, 
Go to michaeljammin.com slash watchlists. And now back to what the hell is Michael Jammin talking about? Is that my voice? Asks the beats. Is that what we are referencing here when we talk about story structure? Are the beats? The question is, what? Uh, what's the question? Yeah, so the context of this is, this is from the webinar, how to write a great story. And mm-hmm. she's when you're asking the question, like, what is a story or what is story structure? They're asking, are you referencing beats? Is that what you mean yeah. when you say story yeah. structure? They're beats. So there are about seven or eight beats in every story. And it doesn't matter whether you're writing a half hour, an hour and a half feature, whatever, that you must hit. Uh, in my opinion, in order for a, a story to fulfill, feel fulfilling. And so those are the beats I talk about. And I, you know, one is at the bottom of act one, bottom of act two, these are all important beats and I, I teach that, but um, yeah. And, and there's still some creativity you can have, well, a lot of creativity you can have once you know those beats. I wanna highlight something because I know you don't read any of the other advice that people are giving. And again, yeah. a lot of these people are not writers. Um, in my intro to storytelling class, which is like writing 101 in college, uh, my professor asked this question, like, how many beats? How many beats are in this thing? And he had us watch a movie and count the number of beats. And then he put up this image on the board, and it was 40 beats. And Ooh, he says so that every, every feature should have about 40 beats. Now, that's the difference between sequences and beats. And you already you can tell this is getting very confusing, right? Yeah. But... This is the formulaic approach that is very confusing and, you know, shackling to people who are starting out and what you're saying. I don't want people to misconstrue what you're saying by saying there should only be eight moments in a script or eight scenes. No. But he was describing scenes as beats and how you progress through things. And that comes from a book, and I can't remember which book, but it It, lays that out. It's That's just too many. How are you going to keep all that in your head? I feel like eight is manageable. Eight, not eight scenes, but eight moments that you have to hit. And then it, they're just, it's just like, you know, when you go from A to B to C to D, like you can take a little side trip from A to B, but you still got to get to B. Yeah. And I, and I think that like USC and UCLA, I think they use what they call eight beat story structure, which mirrors pretty close to what you teach. But okay. you'd expect that because they're proper film schools mm-hmm. taught by professional writers, directors, producers, editors who are just doing that now because they're, they've moved out of their first career. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want to make sure people are not misconstruing the two or conflating them. Um, NRS creates, how can a series pilot with more than eight main characters work without story overload? You wouldn't want to have that many. Go, go back and watch some of these old pilots uh, or any pilot. Even towards whatever, season five or eight, they may introduce a lot, new, a lot of new characters. But in the pilot, how many characters were in the pilot? And... You know, if it's a sitcom, you're talking probably five or six. It's if an hour long, you're gonna have a few more. You might be eight, uh, and but you should you should be able to service eight characters in an hour long story. So it shouldn't be a problem. It's when you start growing the cast, it gets more complicated. Yeah, I think Lost is a great example of this. Yeah, tons of people yeah. playing Crash. There's mayhem happening all around you, and we're like looking at four or five people. And then as the series goes along, they introduce more people and the yeah. stories become more complex and there's side things happening. But in the pilot, which is two hours, I think J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof did that masterfully. Yeah, great pilot. Richard Monroy, life, death, rebirth. These themes are found in art. How can this be applied to screenwriting? Well, I mean, what else are you going to write about? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to write when you're going to write about any all events that happen to you in life: jealousy, anger, love, betrayal, vengeance, whatever. Those are that's what you're going to write about. So you're going to, you know, life mirrors art, and art mirrors life. Yeah, uh, I think that ties back to our theme as well, right? You pick your theme, and then that's the thing you're deciding to talk about, and then your characters and the story and the plot all play to paint that yeah. picture. David Campbell, another question here. Do you have to write a log line for every episode or story? Um, yes. Uh, one of the things, I, when my partner and I run our TV show, what we make all the writers do, including ourselves, is we write after the story is broken on the whiteboard and one writer is chosen or a team is chosen to write uh, that script, the first thing they got to do is write what we call a book report, which is like a one-page summary of what we just discussed in the writer's room for past week. 
And this is not as easy as it looks. Like we, we need to make sure everyone's on the, did you understand, were you paying attention? Did you understand what we finally agreed to? And before at the top of that book report, we make them write a log line. What is it about? What is the, What is this episode about? And it's amazing how that one simple thing can really, really be beneficial. Um, I never assume anyone understands what it's about. And, and sometimes I tell a story that a couple of years ago, I think it was on Tacoma, my partner and I were writing an episode, we're writing the outline and we're figuring out these scenes. We start arguing over what the scene should be. And I was like, I'm right. And he's like, he's right. And I'm like, wait a minute, what do you think the story's about? <laughs> and we didn't agree on what the story was about. We didn't, we literally didn't agree. So we stopped and went back to the whiteboard to figure out what the story was about. Even though we had spent a week working on it, we couldn't agree, so. Yeah, that's how much it matters. I don't yeah. know that there's anything to add to that. That's great. Henry Wind. As an audience member, I'm really trying to catch the details in the dialogue so I can understand what is happening in this scene between two actors. How do you deepen subtext? Well, characters often don't say what they're actually thinking. And so that's the difference between writing directly and writing indirectly. And I, again, I talk about this in the course to greater detail, but you know, writing directly is, you know, I'm really mad at you. I, you hurt my feelings the other day when you said this about, you know, that's writing directly. Writing indirectly might be just me uh, ignoring you or me telling you your, your hat is stupid. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm not really, I, I don't, who cares about your hat? I'm really mad about you for what you did. And yeah. so um, that's the difference. And, and it, the more indirect you can write your writing, the, uh, the better, the high, the smarter it seems. Yeah. It's amazing how this is human nature though. Like just last night, my daughter, she just turned three. And so she's throwing a little bit of the terrible three tantrums. Mm -hmm. I've heard terrible twos, but it's really the threes is what every parent says. Um, and she wanted to do something and we said, no, it's time for bed. And so her, her lovey, her stuffy is Cobb the cow. And she's like, I don't want Cobb in my bed. Mm. And my wife, my wife, who's wonderful says, because you're mad at us, just because you're mad at us doesn't mean you should take it out on other people. Yeah. And she said, okay. And then she cuddled her, her little stuffed animal. But it's right. human nature to do this. Yeah. She didn't say, I'm mad at you. She's like, I don't want Cobb in here. I don't want, yeah. you know. Right. I don't want to I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to read a book. She's right. mad at me. She's writing indirectly. She's a yep. writer. Yep. It's human nature. <laughs> the beautiful things you learn from kids, man. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on to breaking in. The Broken Breaking Seas, that's a, an apt name. Can you talk about working with a writing partner a bit? I'm very curious what that process is like. Well, it's it's sort of a marriage and you get to decide who you want to marry. Uh, I've been working with my partner, Sievert, for close to 30 years. And um, at this point, there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of, I, we try to argue as little as possible. It's It, it all the, the truth is I, I don't really care if it's his idea or my idea. I, I really don't. If it's his idea, great. That's one less idea I have to come up with. It's not about my ego and uh, it's really about what's best for the work. And then great. I mean, it's, it, it helps to have one. It helps to have, have one bounce idea. You know, we, we can bounce ideas off each other. And, um, you know, often he'll shoot down my ideas. I, whatever, I don't, I don't really care. I, it's really about getting the work done. We, we did a whole episode about writing with partners on the podcast. Mm. So go check that out as well. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to miscellaneous questions. So, and we got about 10 left, Michael. Does that sound good? Sure. We hit yeah. those in the next 17 minutes yeah. and wrap Sounds this up good. in an hour. Great. Lisa J. Robinson. For a beginning writer, what program do you recommend to write a script that is very user-friendly? Oh. Imagine that. Oh, right didn't even lap. know didn't even know michael this question in october would serve so today. every single television show movie everything i've sold every single one of them have been written in a program called final draft and that is considered to be the industry standard now uh so that it's the it's the best as far as i'm concerned now they offered me a brand deal a couple months ago and so i've since you know done some spots for them and i had no problem doing it because it's not like it's a product that i have I use the product, so sure, I'll, I'll And you've it. turned down so many deals from people with different writing software. Yeah. That, like, even when we first started doing this, people were reaching out. It's like, hey, we'd love to, like, pay you to talk about our screenwriting yeah. software, and you turned them all down. 
No, yeah. So this is no. a big deal. <laughs> so, but if you want to use Final Draft, we do have a, a um, they gave me a brand deal. So if get on my newsletter, the, we said, well, there'll be a link on my newsletter and you can click on that link and you can get a discount, 25% off on Final Draft. Do you want to Draft. give them the code? You want to give I them think the code so. Here? We could we could do the code. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it, MJAMIN25, I think, right? 24, I think. Tw- MJAMIN24. Correct, for it's 20, 24. Yeah. MJAMIN24, but it gives you... 25% off your purchase. And I used it and it worked on my upgrade from Vinyl Draft 12. So you saved me 25 bucks on something I was going to buy anyway. So Yeah, you can upgrade. You can upgrade. At, at some point you have to continue, you know, you got to upgrade your so it doesn't fall out of service and stuff, you know. Yeah, and there's new stuff that come in. There's all kinds of stuff that comes yeah, in. Yeah, there's new that, so. bells and whistles, but they don't honestly, I've been using Final Draft since 5, since Final Draft 5. They don't update it like Every day, they you know they wait. It's every couple of years they they, they improve it. Yeah, we used uh, Final Draft for the collaboration mode in the in the writers' room. Yeah, the, that the collaboration is a good feature. Yeah, and while I was doing this yesterday, I'm, I'm this is totally unprompted. I was looking for this. You sent me a bunch of stuff, and in like 2016, just as I was going to move out here, you were asking me um, for my resume because there's like, hey, there's somebody out here. Who, who wants to, uh, who was interested in getting your resume. Yeah. And I sent it over and you told me in here, and I'm trying to find the exact words, but it was basically like study final draft and know it like the back of your hand. Yeah. And that was 2016. Yeah. So yeah. you've been preaching this for a long time. Yeah. It helps to know that program. Yeah. Great. All right. Uh, Mimi, how to find the main idea from a lot of ideas you have in your book. So I'm assuming she's writing a book and she wants to know what the main idea is. Yeah, you better figure that out because your story needs to be about one thing. Well, everyone wants to throw in the kitchen sink and they want, it's about this, but it's also about this. But, but it also has elements of this. It's like, no, 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 you don't know what your story is. You got a hot mess. Don't, you can't kitchen sink it. Your story is about one thing. And if you, if you think it's about two things, congratulations. Now you have a sequel or you have another mm-hmm. episode. But yeah. your story is about one thing. And if you think I'm making it up, read stories that you've enjoyed and ask yourself the same question. What is this about? What's the difference between an A plot, B plot, and C plot though, if it's only about one thing? Right, so an A plot will occupy two or three characters and that's, that's a story that has the most emotional weight and that's the one that's usually the, 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 has the most time on screen. It's but usually you have, the leads too though, right? Like it's your main character. Yeah, so but if you have like five leads in your show, then two of them will be in the A story, you know? And then you have to occupy your other characters, so you give them a B story and maybe a C story if you don't, if you still have to occupy some of them. Yeah, because but they don't carry as much emotional weight. Often they're just lighter. You don't want them sitting in their trailers, cashing a check, right? Yeah, you got to pay these people. The audience wants to see them too, so you want to give yeah. the audience what they want. Great, mental pictures. Would love to know an example of a log line on a whiteboard in the writers' room. Um, okay, so. A logline might be, um, okay, we wrote an episode called Fire Choir. Uh, and I think it was like, I think the logline was Eddie, Eddie joins a male, Eddie joins a male uh, uh, choir. Acapella group. It was like acapella a firefighters group. acapella choir. Yeah. yeah. To basically recapture the lost fame of his youth. If something like that. So you know what the plot was and you also know what the story was. Oh, he he's there to recapture his law, his you know, he was he was famous, you know, whatever. He was in a garage band when he was a kid, and now here's the chance to feel like a star again. So that's what it's really about. It's about, you know, the fame part. Yep. And uh a great episode with one of our favorite characters, Wolf Boykins. Wolf, yes. <laughs> so played by Paul Soder. Paul Soder says hi, by the way. Oh, you should have him on the podcast. I should. I'll get him on. That's a good question. Yeah, Richard Monroy, can you describe this Greta Gerwig style in more detail? It seems more unstructured and organic. It's not unstructured. It's just the fact that it's definitely not unstructured. It's just that how she comes about finding the structure. So I believe she still hits the same eight points that I'm talking about. But whereas in TV or even in movies for the most part, you'll think about this before you ever writing a word, you're figuring out what those story points are and you might spend weeks or months if you're, if it's a movie before you're actually writing, but she doesn't do it that way, but she's Greta Gerwig and until you become her, you know, 
you may want to rethink how, your, you know, how you do this. Uh, but what she does is she starts writing, oh, I think this is what it's about. And she starts typing the script. And, and she'll say the same thing. I've heard her talk about it. All right, now I have an 800-page script. Well, that's, uh, we can't shoot an 800-page script. Now she has to go back and throw out 700 pages and you know, figure out what the story is. So it's very inefficient, but it's organic. But again, she can do it because she knows what story is. And uh, so, you know, and, and by the way, that movie made a billion dollars. It's not for me to say that she's doing it wrong. She's, she's doing it right. It's just that it's just inefficient. And, uh, and unless you really have a good grasp of what story structure is like she does, you're probably going to screw it up. This just popped into my mind. Uh, one of the best TikToks I've ever seen was this story, and you've seen them before. And it's like, everyone told me that I was a loser and I would never make it as an artist. And mm -hmm. over the years, I've practiced and honed my craft, and it shows like all these different like arts. And so, like you see their art evolving year over year. And now here I am, and look what I've done. And then they show like the worst drawing of a horse you've <laughs> ever seen. And it brought me to tears because it's, it's mocking this thing, which is like the reality is you can't be a one year in writer or a four year in writer and think that you can write the way someone's been writing for 20 years. Well, you yeah. also can't do it, but think you're going to paint or draw the way in one year or two years, the way that Picasso or Van Gogh or anybody else has done, who's devoted their life to that craft. And it's, it's effectively what I'm hearing you say is, she's earned the right to do things her way and it shows in the box office. Yeah. And that is not an excuse for you to do it that way. And that's not to say you won't do it that way, but you have to learn structure and process and all of those things, form, light, balance. You have to learn those things before you can make art. And it's not easy for her. I saw an interview where she was saying like, every time I sit down, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. It's like, that. it's yep. you're starting from scratch. I feel the same way. It's like, oh, I don't really know how to do this. You know, I. I do, but I still feel like I don't. It's hard. Yeah. Yep, I saw that interview too. And uh, that's that's what, going back to what we talked about earlier, that's the discipline. It's yeah. hard, but she sits down and does it, and then she's able to get billion-dollar box office. Yeah. And sometimes I'm writing, I'm like, am I saying too much or am I saying too little? What's the, what am I taking... Uh, my audience, you know, am I insulting their intelligence by saying too much or, or am I taking their intelligence for granted? You know, that's a, that's a hard question. Yeah. EG wants to know, what if the notes you receive from the higher-ups make the story worse? Often it does. Your, your goal is to try to uh, give them what they want without making the story too much worse. And some, it, you know, what can I tell you? Sometimes, you know, they're not writers. So often... Uh, it, that's the give and take. Some you'll often you'll argue with them. You're almost never going to win the argument, and so you have to give them what they want. They're the buyer, and so some people sometimes people say, "Why does?" Sometimes it makes it better too, but people often say, "Like you know, why does TV suck?" Well, you know, there's a lot of people involved, and a lot of people have opinions, and they all want to be heard. Yep, I've worked with actors who've had notes who make the story worse. What are you going to do? That's the job. It's why it's, you know, it's life. Um, I've, I've talked about this documentary before, but showrunners, which you can find mm -hmm. in yeah. a bunch of places, they talk about in the interview, um, a pretty well-known actor, I'm blanking on his name, but he talks about how at a certain point, right, the first year, the showrunner, it's the showrunner story. The second year, it's the showrunner's story. The, the third year, it's kind of a balance between the actors and the showrunner. And then the fourth, it's kind of the actors because mm -hmm. they are the characters. And his whole opinion here was, I think famously he got in an argument and a heated battle with the showrunner who created the show and the showrunner got fired because, yeah, oh, he, yeah. because he was the star Be of the show. And he said, you, it's my job mm -hmm. to protect my character because that's me and who I'm playing. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's just the reality of this. Yeah. It's none of it's yours. You can't, that's the funny thing is like, yeah, the showrunner hires all the actors. It's their show. They sold it. They created it. But at some point, if there's an argument between the actor, the star and the showrunner, you can always get a new showrunner. The star is on camera. And so the star is going to win that fight nine times out of 10. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Go check that out, guys. Yeah. Um, Richard Monroy asks, if you're an independent writer, do you ever reveal what you're working on in early stages? 
Some people tell you no. I mean, some people will say, don't reveal your dreams to anybody because people will tell you how stupid it is for you to dream. So why, why keep it to yourself? Uh, you know, it's a personal choice uh, whether you want to share it or not. Yeah. My opinion is uh, screw the haters. Screw the haters. But also, I mean, you can also put it out there and maybe they hold you accountable. Well, now that I went on record saying I'm going to do this, I better, I better do it. For a you lot know. of people, a lot of people, that's some strong accountability saying yeah. I'm going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Eagle Boy 71090. How strict should we expect Perspective Studios to be about the page length of a historical drama limited series? I've seen some episode ones that are nearly 80 pages for an hour-long show. The, listen, the question is, who do you think you are? I mean, you're, when you write your script, your script is a writing sample, and that's it. Stop thinking about what I'm going to sell it for, how much money I'm going to make. Some people ask me, how much money can you make as your first? Like, now you're now you're spending the money. Like your your job first is to write a great script. That's it. One episode. You don't have to stop. Don't worry about episode twelve. Writing that one first great script is damn hard enough, and and it's a calling card and it's a writing sample. So don't. Some of these questions are for people like me. You know, this is a question I might ask. I might ask a fellow showrunner. I might ask them that question because we are doing this is stuff that we have to worry about. But you don't have to worry about this. Yeah. Um, big note there too, that this is like the big takeaway I've gotten from doing these, this work with you over the podcast is mm -hmm. everything is a writing sample. Mm -hmm. If it sells great, if yeah. it's good enough to sell great, but right now I need to be good enough to give me a job. Yeah. Give me a job. Yep. Matt Sharp with the changes to TV writing rooms during the pandemic, do you see zoom rooms still being a thing post the WGA strike? Uh, more to the point, do you still have to live in LA to write in TV? A lot of these rooms are still on Zoom. That's probably going to go the way at some point. I don't know. Maybe it's going to get back in, in in person probably sooner than later. But you know, someone made that point. I was going to do a TikTok or on um, social media. What are you talking about? Everything's on Zoom. Okay, but how do you get the job? How do you get the job so that you can be on a show that's on Zoom? Tell me how you do that. Unless you live in LA, and there's no answer for that because you have to live in LA. Sorry, you know, yeah. there's a handful of screenwriters who work mostly in features, who get to live other places. Maybe they have to fly to LA or maybe they live in New York. I follow Ju uh, Julia York from New York. She lives in, uh, Julia, is it York or York's? But she's in New York uh, and she, she she's able to make a living out of it somehow. But it's definitely harder. You made a hard hard career hard. You're making a hard career harder. Yeah. Um, Tacoma FD is now streaming on Netflix. So everybody go watch that. Go watch that. Talk Home FD, which is the companion podcast that Kevin and Steve, the showrunners, do, that dropped. And in episode four, I actually was in the cold open, and they got I got put in the cold open. They talk about it on Talk Home FD. It was very kind of them to mock me a little bit and poke fun. Yeah. But they are what they said is basically what you have said to me all along: is if you want to make it in Hollywood, you have to be in LA because they need you now. It's not mm -hmm. two a week from now. And evidence of this is I got cast in the cold open because the actor tested for co positive for COVID that day. And they said, well, this is a guy protesting pornography and Phil is a religious dude. Let's get him out here. Yeah. And then they were like, he came out and he gave this tirade of just Christian anti-pornographic stuff. It's like he'd rehearsed it. You could tell. And it was like, you know, I'd done acting classes with Jill and with mm -hmm. Cynthia. I've done prep work. I've been on set. I've seen how it's done. And I was just able to go and perform in this moment because of all of that prep work. And right. I only got it because I was on set standing next to the showrunner yeah. when they heard, when he heard right. that this guy got COVID. So two things, you were half of life is about showing up and two, but also being prepared for your opportunity. Can you imagine Cause if you I could have choked the bed? Can you yeah, imagine you if I choked. shot the bed? Right. Yeah. And to be fair, I'd been in three other per things. I'd been on Tacoma twice as background with no mm -hmm. lines. And then they put me on the spot and she made me the butt of a joke in the movie Quasi. Mm -hmm. And that was not something I knew about, but they shot three other people just in case. Uh -huh. And they picked the funniest person. I just happened to be the funniest person. Right. So had I not done that, I would have not been given this hat bat. But they called me in and I pinched it and I, I swung and they said I nailed it, right? Yeah, it was funny. But, it got, it got, but, I was there, I got a huge laugh at the premiere, your yeah. scene. So, yeah, it was, it was, I had no idea. But the point I'm trying to make is you have to be here, and then that's how that stuff comes. If you're not, 
it's like it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aaron von Busick, looking to develop my understanding of the process of landing the ending of a limited series. <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. You mean you got a show picked up the series, <laughs> and now you're and you want to know how to wrap it up? Is that what the, is that what the question is? I think the question is, I'm writing a limited series, and I'm going to write the whole thing, and I don't know how to end it. Don't worry about it. Can you write the, write a great pilot? And then, then when they bring it to series, they'll hire people like me and we'll figure it out in the room. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You're not selling your limited series. You're writing a writing sample. Yeah. I, I think, again, go back and listen to, I think it was like episode 32 or 34, Fractals, which we've talked about yeah. recently, where you talk about how this all kind of mirrors things and then learn story structure. And yeah. man, I can't imagine writing something without knowing the ending. That seems incredibly painful. But that's four years. I, he's, I don't know how long his series is, but I, I wouldn't know how to end it. Yeah. Uh, Rick Bean, I've been watching Star Trek Voyager, Lost in Space, et cetera. Do stories that take place in space get leniency because they take place in space? I don't, I don't think so. If it's boring, it's boring. What difference? You know, when you, these shows take place in space, it just means the set is a spaceship, right? You know, so what? Okay. What if it was a, a boat? Same thing. Is, is it that much of a difference? No. Hamlet on the holodeck. This is a required book from uh, one of my digital media classes. Uh -huh. And it talks about basically the future of narrative in cyberspace. And mm -hmm. it's basically just saying it's a medium. The story still has to be there. It's yeah. like, it's Hamlet on the holodeck. Yeah. It's not whatever on the holodeck. Yeah, it's still a story. Story, yeah. story, story, story. Richard Monroy again, a lot of movies and TV shows are based on franchises and IPs that want to sell product. Is it the screenwriter's job to include ad placement in the scripts? No, and I, and I disagree that, I, I disagree with that contention. I've never worked on a show where we got a note where, hey, we're selling you know products. That's never, no. Uh, That's a production thing. It's after it's like, I've seen it in the production office where it's like, okay, the call just came in, Transpo's picking up some Acuras, and we got to feature those in this week's episode because the sales guys in the corporate side are doing Fine, that. throw in the background. I don't think about yeah. it at all. And, and Barbie, when that movie, you know, Mattel, to their great credit, they I'm, I bet they saw a lot of Barbies after that, but it was never an, a, an infomercial for Barbie. I mean, Greta Gerwig got to write it her way, and, and much of it was anti-Barbie, you yeah. know? Well, so. that's, that's a whole thing going on right now. They came out with, like, women in cinema, film and mm -hmm. TV Barbie set. And now yeah. a bunch of people are like, hey, you missed the mark here, Barbie. You missed the mark. I mean, they're, they're always going to try to figure out ways to make money. But to me, it's never about the product placement. It's always about the story. And if they want to find you want to throw Pepsi in the background, I don't care. Yeah. F fire Department Coffee is one of those sponsors we have on the show and it because it fits in the firehouse. And it's that's who they're selling to our firefighters who watch the show. And mm -hmm. that's something that was worked out well after. We're not writing episodes about Fire Department Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Because uh, that's not entertaining Gold. people. That People are not going to be entertained. People would turn off the show if that, if that were the case. Yep. Yep. And you see it too. It like I see it a lot on broadcast TV where it's like, oh, we have to use this feature in the new, um, you know, Toyota to get to where we're going. And it's like, look at us talk and the camera sweeps there. And it's so distracting. You're not, yeah, story. you're not fooling anybody. So no, it's like, we know what's going on. Uh, as you've always said, we got to sell more toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, we I jokingly say that. Yeah, we're here to sell toilet paper, but we we don't literally have toilet paper on this show. <laughs> Rob Gully, how does David Mamet tell a good story when most of his plays are just people talking? Well, but it's not just people talking. It's people. It's it's things happening. But anytime you have a stage play, it's not just people talking. Things have to happen. Things have to develop. New, you know, a character walks on with new information, changes a dynamic. It's not just people talking, and that's the problem that people people mistake. They think it's just people talking. I've got his, his like bio over here that I read and uh, it's worth checking out if you think that's Yeah, you got a good on. library over there. It's not a, yeah, oh, I'm a hoarder. I think that's the problem. Thanks, dad. Mm. Dad gave me those tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> um, money, as, as Jim would say, um, money in the bank, right? Money in the bank. My my trauma, my trauma is my oh. money. I'm oh yeah, yeah. Lots of yeah. Yeah, my hoarding tendencies for my yeah, father. For sure. Uh, is there a percentage to follow for dialogue or scene description while writing a script? Like what percentage should be what? Well, just know that no one likes reading uh, action lines. No one. 
people often glance over that I've heard. It's so funny. I, I happen to catch another screenwriter say the same exact thing. It's no one wants to read it. So that's why if you write your script and you can do, you could describe a car chase. Okay, no one read it because it's it, the dialogue is the what you want to read. So on paper, it's going to be really boring if you focus on that. If you're gonna sh you know if you're gonna shoot your movie or your short or whatever, fine, do it any way you want to do it. But just know if you're trying to if you want it as a writing sample, no one's going to be impressed about your with your action lines. It's just too, it's just boring. no one's going to read it. Anyone who's ever done prose before and is getting into screenwriting, which is me, you start mm -hmm. off by describing the room and what's in the room. It's almost like a D&D, &D, like Dungeon Master. Yeah. It's so unnecessary. It's more confusing. Yeah. It's the brevity of your style is what will help with this. And that's why I said you need to understand the craft. You need to understand structure, but you need to understand your format and your style. I literally keep action lines like that as short as possible. When we're writing, if there's... If we have four words, we try to get it down to three. I mean, because it's literally shorter is better. No one wants to read it. You don't want big blocks of text. And I think yeah. Drive is a great script to check out because he barely talks in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But but masterfully but, done. But he he wrote it, directed it. He did the whole thing. It was it was effectively he was being paid to make his own short film. Yeah. Because he'd earned it. Yeah. In the age of streaming, the last question, by the way, just Mason May, in the age of streaming and new media, how has the new WGA deal changed the writer's room process? I don't think it's changed the writer's room process, but there's some there's some minimums in place in terms of the staff size and the staff, uh, you know, makeup and the, and the term, the employment terms. Um, so, but we'll see how that unfolds. I, I haven't been on a show since the strike ended, so we'll see literally what that means, but, you know, too soon yeah. to say. Yeah. Awesome. Michael, anything you want to add to that one? It's a pretty robust, long Q&A. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Thank you all for all the questions. Please keep coming to those webinars. Uh, you'll get a lot out of it. And thank you for listening. Michael, anything we want to talk about coming up? Got oh, the book boy. Coming up. We got uh, stuff coming up, Phil. My, my book is dropping very soon, A Paper Orchestra. I don't know when this episode is going to air. It may already be out. No, probably not. Probably not. But it's coming soon. If you want to learn more about my book, go to michaeljammon.com slash book and mm -hmm. sign up and uh it, it'll be a great read it's called the paper orchestra yeah and we're gonna we're gonna do a whole podcast episode we're gonna talk about that coming up next i think yep so we've got that you've got uh your course which we've talked about at michaeljammon.com slash course yep. you've got your free lesson michaeljammon.com slash free you've got your webinars which people can sign up for at michaeljammon.com slash webinar you only need to sign up once we'll continue to invite you to them as long as you want to stay on that list um that's all it's used for um yeah, anything else you can think of? That's it. Get on my newsletter. Lots of good stuff on the newsletter. michaeljammoncom slash newsletter. Just go to my website, poke around. There's a lot of free stuff, a lot of really good stuff there. Phil yeah. built the website, so we have him to thank for it. Yeah, blame me for any problems you have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I think hashtag twirly girl on this uh, post, just if we want to hear if people want to know about seeing those videos. I, mean, I think that'd be Yeah, helpful. maybe we'll slap up a special page for my commercial work. I think it's worth doing. Okay. Just, people need to see like you do this because you tell yeah. people to do it. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Idea. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you, Phil. For more, what do we say? For more, like, for more, subscribe. But also, <laughs> I don't know, keep writing. Keep, keep writing. writing. That's what keep we writing. want you to do. That's, keep writing. Okay. Thanks, everyone. So now we all know what the hell Michael Jammon's talking about. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for my free monthly webinars at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. And if you found this podcast helpful or entertaining, please share it with a friend and consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. That really, really helps. For more of this, whatever the hell this is, follow Michael Jammon on social media at michaeljammonwriter. And you can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. And music was composed by Anthony Rizzo. And remember, you can have excuses or you can have a creative life. But you can't have both. See you next week.